Hi, I'm David Jones, and you're listening to ADA Live. Yo. Hi, let's roll. Let's go. Hi, everybody. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, I want to welcome you to ADA Live. I'm Barry Whaley. I'm the director at the Southeast ADA Center. As a reminder, listeners, if you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, you can use our online form anytime at adalive.org. Well, summer's here, and after a year of social distancing due to the pandemic, and quarantine, we're cautiously getting out again and looking forward to outdoor recreation. And recreation is important for all of us. Here to discuss how popular activities like boating, fishing, hunting can be made accessible and equal for everybody is our guest, David Jones. He's the founder and director of Sportsability Alliance based in Florida. David, thank you for being with us today. Good morning. I'm glad to be here and excited to uh, share some time with you. Great. Well, let, let's let's start with uh, Sportsability Alliance. Can you, you're the founder. You're the director. Can you uh, give us a little background on the organization? Yes. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a native of Tallahassee, Florida, born and raised here. Uh, very active outdoors person my whole youth and growing up. Worked in uh, grocery stores and I had my own business for a while. So outdoor recreation was not a profession. It was my my hobby and my recreation outlet. Uh, but I learned to love the outdoors coming up. In 1988, I was accidentally shot in a turkey hunting accident that left me uh, in a coma for nine days, not expected to live, not expected to walk, talk, or function. But I had a very extensive successful rehabilitation uh, that lasted over a year learning how to live again which is what rehabilitation is it's a new life starting over so i actually during this process of physical therapy occupational therapy speech therapy uh recovered way beyond expectations so i've been blessed with the ability to get back to functioning and back to life one of the things that i did learn during that uh, rehab process is how much I valued my outdoor recreation and what a source of comfort and motivation it was for me to heal. Uh, in a therapy type setting, recreation is used as a healing tool uh, and many rehabs utilize that on a regular consistent basis. Unfortunately, over the years, therapeutic recreation has in many places been downsized due to the health care crisis of insurances and, and reimbursements and treatments available. Hospital stays have shortened down to, you know, literally a few days instead of months. I spent three months in a hospital. So I had a very good therapy program back in the early eight, late 80s, if you can remember. Uh, things were different then. But anyway, that I didn't realize how important that therapeutic recreation was to me at the time but getting out and doing things with other patients in the hospital, playing games, socializing, having something to look forward to, to anticipate, and uh, know that I had something pleasurable coming up is a, a very important part of life, not just healing, 
but in maintenance and staying healthy and for your well-being. Having recreation and exercise and social outlets is not just uh, an extra benefit, it's necessary to be a, a well-functioning, healthy human being. Yep. So that's kind of how we started. And actually, when I went, got out of my rehab, I was fortunate enough to have vocational rehabilitation help pay my way back to school. So I went back to Florida State University and finished my degree in the College of Business in marketing. And during those early days, tried to figure out what I wanted to do and uh, what my future would be. I decided because of my experience that I would try to create an organization that would help people like myself get back to living through outdoor recreation. So I started and formed the Florida Disabled Outdoors Association, our, our past name, in uh, 1990, a 501c3 nonprofit that has evolved and changed over the years to now being called Sportsability Alliance, like you mentioned earlier. As you said, we, we, we kind of take for granted the, the, the importance of, of recreation and, and leisure activities in, in our lives until we're faced with some sort of challenge of, you know, how, how do I participate as, as you did after, after your injury. David, would let's talk a little bit more about Sports Ability Alliance because you have a number of programs um, that are all aimed toward the common goal of inclusive recreation. I started off and we'll back up to this in a minute uh, with a hunting program that I created here in the state of Florida, which was really my intent earlier on to really be more like a support group for people with disabilities to get involved with outdoor recreation like hunting and fishing. Well, along the way, I met a young lady who was a world champion sit water skier, Ann O'Brien Satterfield, who wanted to share her joy for sit water skiing by doing clinics around the country. And I did one of her first clinics here in Tallahassee for a group of maybe uh, six or eight people with disabilities just to learn how to sit water ski. That event was so successful and popular that each year we continued the sit skiing but continued to add new activities, boating, paddling, horseback riding, uh, some of the typical athletic sports to that event. So it became a, a very large two or three, well, actually a three-day event uh, that we did annually around the state of Florida in different cities, uh, Tallahassee every year, Sarasota, Fort Lauderdale, uh, Jacksonville, Orlando, Ocala, Gainesville, so we moved the event around the state and in doing so and promoting and advocating for uh, ability in sports, which is what sports ability is, uh, we gained quite a following and a branding of that name sports ability for the event. So in time, as our organization grew and our umbrella opened to cover more activities and more in diversity uh, in activities and interest, uh, the sports ability brand became evident to us that that was who we were known for and recognized as. So we actually changed our name to the Sports Ability Alliance from the Florida Disabled Outdoors Association. I guess I need a little clarification, David. Do you have to be a member of, of Sports Ability Alliance or, or, or how, do you, how do you connect with people? You only have to be a member if you want to get communications from us and, and take advantage of the, the resources that we share with people with disabilities, 
and just as importantly, providers of services that people with disabilities would be interested in. We're very unique that we are different from most organizations that, that promote and advocate for disability sports. We really were founded and got started by providing support and consulting to government agencies to help them figure out how to comply with the new ADA law that passed in 1990. Uh, old timers like me can, can remember the passing of the ADA and, and how confusing it was to a lot of providers of services. Uh, government agencies and private businesses had to figure out how can I do business without discriminating? Well, I came through and did an, uh, a very early prototype of a hunt for people with disabilities that Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission hosted. And I was very excited to participate. I enjoyed it, but I was very disappointed in the support that it provided and the enjoyment or the quality of this hunt. It was a deer hunt for people with mobility impairments. So I've experienced that, came back to create a better program, uh, approached the St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge, which is just south of Tallahassee, and explained to them what I'd like to do. They embraced it because as you know, or may know, the federal government was responsible for really leading the charge into how do we adapt and, and make sure that our programs are accessible. So I created a mobility impaired hunt program for St. Mark's, had the nation's first national wildlife refuge mobility impaired hunt here. It has been very successful and grown and actually been replicated around the country as being really, I guess, a benchmark for how to provide a modified version of a hunting program. So that's kind of how it started with the hunting. Uh, and then as time progressed, moved into other activities, got involved with fishing, and the, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission uh, saw what we did at St. Mark's. They bought into the concept of creating a statewide program. So we now have created 24 different mobility impaired deer hunts around the state of Florida that literally thousands of people with mobility impairments can now enjoy as a result of that program. Oh, that, that's fantastic. 20, 24 individual programs. Yes. <clears throat> so let's, let's stick with hunting for a minute because, you know, a lot of people in the country love to hunt. Um, there, you know, I saw something the other day, there are over 15 million people who hold hunting licenses. Talk a little bit more about how we make hunting accessible for for people and the different issues that, that you have to address? Okay, yes, very good question and, and issue to discuss because it really, the answer is very suitable for all outdoor recreation activities, if you think about it. The number one way that people with disabilities can participate in hunting programs is just like your neighbor next door who is able-bodied. Inclusion and taking advantage of what your state or your uh, agency or your or local organization has to offer is the number one way of choice for people to dis with disabilities to participate. So go to your Fish and Wildlife Commission, whatever their name may be in your state, in your area, see what they have to offer. Uh, I know Florida has done a great job <laughs> over the past 30 years, and I laugh because, you know, we're not done and we can always do better. And our organization, the FTOA, or the 
Port Philly Alliance has been working hard to help providers of recreation. So we've helped them come up with uh, ways to modify programs, ways to create better physical access, ways to really include people of all diversities and, and uh, uh, demographics and disability being the largest, I, I would just call it the largest minority that there is. So that's the number one way, find out what's available, see what's offered. Most people do not know what's out there and uh, people with disabilities need to go and look at the, the regular tracks as everyone else. So that's number one. The second way that you can get more involved with hunting activities is through assistive technologies and finding the tools and toys that enable a particular person with a, a particular individual need or disability to overcome that disability, remove that barrier through assistive technology is the great way to go. We have a lot of different mobility devices now for outdoor mobility, which is to me uh, the most number one recognized barrier to participating in the hunting program is just the ability to walk, uh, to scout the, the terrain, to learn the countryside, to make the uh, challenging decisions of where you want to hunt, how you want to hunt, figuring out the game and the, the terrain. Man, uh, the hunting uh, program really is a lot of man versus nature, figuring out how you're going to become in, involved with nature and in, enjoy it and be successful and safe is part of what you do. And mobility is a big part of that when you are a hunter. So with some of the assistive technology, the, uh, some of the all-terrain chairs, we now have track chairs that are a wonderful accommodation, uh, which really steps way above and beyond a typical wheelchair that you would see on the street and most even sports chairs. So track chairs and other all-terrain vehicles are a great assistive technology. Different shooting devices, uh, devices that will hold uh, your gun up for you to shoot if you have a weak upper body or weak fingers or just need some support. We have many different available gun rests that can be attached to a chair or self-supporting on a stand. Uh, that's another great way. The actual gun or, or, or weapon that you use, uh, you use, you make choices for wh what works best for you. Personally, being a, a one-handed hunter myself, I'm a hemiplegic. I guess I should have said that from the start with. My left side is paralyzed, my left leg and left arm. Uh, so I went to a basic little single shot gun that was very light, simple, easy to load, easy to use. Uh, so that's what I, I went to a, a single shot, easy, simple gun uh, to hunt with because most of hunting is not shooting. Now shooting is another sport that's very enjoyable and, and a lot of people participate in shooting for the sport. I mean, that's a sport in itself. Hunting is really not about shooting. Hunting is about being in nature and enjoying that time with, with plant and, and animals and, and our, our earth at its best. The early mornings, the late afternoons, the, the challenges of weather, uh, that's what hunters really enjoy is being in nature. And doing that with family and friends is another part of the importance of hunting. Uh, hunting with my son and when I was younger, hunting with my grandparents growing up, that social interaction and that involvement is really what I think uh, secures a, an appreciation for wildlife and conservation. You know, hunters are our number one conservationists. We as hunters put more 
conservation dollars into the budget than any other contributor. So no matter how big a conservationist you are with whatever philosophies of life you have, please recognize that hunters are paying the way and fishermen to protect our natural resources. So that's an important thing to remember too with hunting. Uh, other ways that you can modify, not just with assistive technologies, but we can modify the program. So your, your agency that controls the hunting programs may put regulations or rules or accommodations into their regular programs. Uh, for example, here in Florida, we have created a mobility impaired certification that allows a person with a mobility impairment to uh, get a, a, actually a doctor's note verifying that you have a mobility impairment. You then get certified and then you use that certification to apply for special hunts. So special programs is, is another way that you can do this or getting accommodations to use your vehicle in regular uh, inclusive hunts. So those different changes in, in how we provide the program are important parts of hunting. Uh, the other thing would be the disability programs, the mobility impaired hunts, the private hunts that many agencies and organizations put on for people with disabilities. Uh, certainly look for those and they're out there. Uh, Google searches and, and watching on the internet, you'll find many opportunities. So it's up to the individual who wants to hunt, how aggressive you wanna be in finding those opportunities, just as it is for able-bodied people. And, I, and, and first of all, David, your, your comments about conservation and the role that hunting plays, that, that was just very well, well said. So th thank you so much. So obviously, David, when, when we're looking at adaptation or modification to either a gun or, or maybe a bow or, or, or some other weapon used in hunting, you, you know, that's, that seems like that's a very individualized thing, right? Based upon the, the, the need of the hunter and the, the choice of weapon, right? What you said there is the most important word in inclusion, and that's choice. Choice to do what you want to do, where you want to do it, how you want to do it, who you want to do it with. Choice is the bottom line of what inclusion is all about. So yes, making the best choices for your interest, your enjoyment, your capabilities is what it's all about. So finding the choices is what we should do. And that's what the uh, Sports Ability Alliance does, try to help find those resources to, to send you to them. That's very good. Thanks, David. ADA Live listening audience, if you have questions about this topic or any other ADA Live topic, you can submit your questions on live.org or you can call the Southeast ADA Center at 1-404-541-9001. We're going to pause now for a word from our, our sponsor for this episode, the Sports Ability Alliance. Sports Ability Alliance, formerly Florida Disabled Outdoor Association, enriches lives through accessible, inclusive recreation for all. Programs include All Out Adventures, Rec Connect, Sports Ability, and Miracle Sports. The Sports Ability Alliance strives to promote active leisure for life and improved physical, vocational, and emotional wellness for everyone. For more information about the vital work of Sports Ability Alliance, please visit their website at www.fdoa.org.
Great. Thank you. And welcome back, everybody. Um, before that break, we're talking about hunting um, with David Jones. And, and now let's, let's turn our attention, if we can, David, to boating and um, how, how to make boating more accessible for people with disabilities. And, you, you know, I've, I, I have sailed sailboats most of my adult life and uh, really find that, that, that this is something very interesting I want to know more about. Yes, well, uh, I guess I'll start with the preface that same goes for boating or fishing or whatever we're talking about. The first way you want to do is look at inclusion. What exists right now for everyone else and how can I be included? So yes, there's a lot of ways you can be included in boating. Some is in the assistive technologies. Boats are being designed for use for people with disabilities now, which is a, a great way to go. But early on, what I found out in my rehab and my personal experience, one of the first things I did when I left the hospital for a go home weekend trip, which was so exciting, I went to my mother's house who lived on a lake here in the Tallahassee area, Lake Talquin, uh, to take a pontoon boat ride and to use my brand new electric fishing reel that I had bought in my therapeutic recreation research in the hospital. So going home to spend the night, first time out of the hospital, and to get on a pontoon boat and go fishing was like reintroduction to life again. Uh, my parent, my mom and my brothers and my support team could not get me on the boat. So they had to build a sidewalk down a steep hill, down to the dock, and then widen the door of the pontoon boat so my wheelchair would fit onto it and build us a little platform to get into the boat. But Point is, a pontoon boat, most now are designed with wider doors, is the perfect assistive technology for a person who has a mobility impairment and many other disabilities. So first thing I look at is what boat exists that you could use and enjoy participating in. Pontoon boats, if I was going to go out and invent a boat for a person with a wheelchair, that's where I would start, right off the shelf pontoon boat. To improve upon that, a good friend and a program provider here in Florida it's called Bird Dog Boats. Thomas Griffin has invented and built uh, a boat branded as a bird dog boat because the hull was taken from an oyster clam fishing boat down in Cedar Key, where the stern of the boat, the back end, is completely open and level with the water, and the engine's in the front of the boat. He took this fishing boat, redesigned it, put a center console, so not only could persons with disabilities using wheelchairs could easily roll into the back of the boat without going over the side and then down into the boat and then reversing back over the side and onto a dock or a shore. Now you roll straight off the dock or straight off the shore, straight into the low open back end of this boat. And he runs a program here taking people, mostly folks who use wheelchairs because it is such a specialized boat and the demand so great. So it's a great way to, to adjust and, and create some assistive technology for boating. Uh, and that's for power boating, sailing, you know, shake a leg down in Miami here. Horgan's a good friend of mine, and he has boats that have been modified for sailing. You mentioned you like sailing, Barry. So there are boats that are sailing boats that have been mostly just modified so that people with disabilities can use them. And then you get back down to your smaller craft. You know, paddling sports are big now. People love kayaking, canoeing, paddleboarding is big. We now have, uh, thankfully, uh, boats and, and vessels that have been created for able-bodied people to sit on 
which now enables a person who can't stand on a stand-up paddleboard to sit on that stand-up paddleboard and paddle just like anybody else. So the many times the best survivable, sustainable way to create uh, an accommodated technology is by providing a product that's enjoyable and used by everyone. And that's universal design. So not only do we design our piers and our boat ramps and our facilities with a universal design concept, we should build our boats and our recreational tools and toys so they're universally accessible for everyone to enjoy. That's interesting. So I think another time you and I had talked, David, uh, and you had successfully won a case against Florida Department of, I want to say wildlife, so, something about their laugh, lack of accessibility of, of a boating program. Do you want to talk a little about that? I'll hit that very briefly because it is an important part of my history. Uh, early on, as we were creating programs for people with disabilities to enjoy the outdoors, we did a diving certification class here in Tallahassee, did most of our work, actually all of our work in a swimming pool. But we had about 15 people with different types of disabilities who went through the class and were ready for our checkout dive, for our final deep water dive. Uh, so to make it fun and exciting, I called down to John Pennycamp State Park down in the Keys to make a reservation to take our group out on their regularly scheduled regularly provided scuba diving boat and program at the park. Everything was fine when I said I had 12 people come and have the date all nailed down and ready to go. And I said, by the way, I just want you to know, so you're prepared. Uh, I think I said four of my group will be using wheelchairs. Uh, no, sir, sorry, Mr. Jones, we don't allow wheelchairs on the boat. Now remember this was early nineties after 1990s, but that was the wrong answer. So I went up the chain to try to clarify with supervisors and what have you up the list and didn't get much progress on why you were not allowing my wheelchair users to actually go scuba diving like everybody else. Uh, so what I did was I found a boat in Miami with a lift on the back that would lift uh, divers or, or anybody from the boat into the water very safely and securely and very functional. I actually chartered that boat to come to John Penny Camp to pick up our team and take us scuba diving. Well, the state parks were very interested, of course, so they, they, they kind of watched from afar. They didn't get involved. I teased that I saw them standing on the hill with binoculars to watch the process. Well, we, by, I guess, fate or whatever, the boat that I chartered was the very same hull of the boat that the Penny Camp vendor was using to do scuba diving trips. So we showed them exactly how you could do this. Uh, I worked with them for two years to try to get the boat accommodated. And last minute, uh, the ADA coordinator who I developed a good relation with called me and said, David, they've decided not to do anything until they're told what they have to do. And as you know, there's only one person that can tell someone what they have to do, and that's a judge. So basically they were telling me to sue them. And I had never sued anyone, we had never sued anyone, but we did, we sued the state of Florida for damages to discrimination against people who use wheelchairs that want to enjoy the regularly provided programs. Long story short, over $2 million later, 
and a lot of improvements to that park and to the whole park system. Accessibility now is part of their culture and a welcoming environment is also part of their culture. Training is part of their culture. So that lawsuit, as painful and, and uh, undesirable as it was, did a lot of good for the state of Florida and probably the country. So we did settle up and that's uh, Florida Disabled Outdoors Association versus John Pennycamp, I think, you know, in record. I don't remember the year, but a lot of good came out of that. And uh, that's really got our state parks in real good shape now. And again, I'll say, like I said earlier, it's only been 31 years, so we ought to be in pretty good shape, but we still have a long ways to go and it'll never be done. We have to continue work working to make this part of our everyday uh, expectations that we include everyone in our recreation. That, that's very true, David. As a result of, of all of that, you, you mentioned that, but just to, to, to reiterate the point, now Florida programs are among the most accessible in the country. I would say, from my opinion, yes. Because of you and, and, and your suit, uh, in, in, in large part, because that is. So congratulations. Well, thank you. That's a, I think that's a small part because that was not the intention. The intention was to solve a problem. And many times people with disabilities are the best solution for the problem. So if we learn to listen to people with disabilities on how we can do a better job, I think we can do a better job. No, that's very, very true. So we've talked about hunting. We've talked about boating. We haven't talked about fishing yet. Um, I know you had, had, had mentioned fishing a few minutes ago. So let's talk about making fishing accessible. Okay, I'll start with my same little routine. Inclusion is the way to go. Find existing opportunities and enjoy them. But we have done a lot to improve fishing. I mentioned assistive technology as a way to accommodate and to modify fishing. And I also mentioned that the electric fishing reel that I discovered in my rehab became a motivation for me to get back out there and go fishing again. Uh, so ordering that little electric fishing reel because I'm one-handed still after all these years uh, enabled me to get out and fish very close to the way I used to do it with a little bit of assistive technology. But what it did was it provided the motivation and the opportunity to go participate whether it was the catch-all, easy way to catch a fish, no, it's still much more difficult. But that fishing reel and that pontoon boat ride from my mother's house really woke me up and made me understand that life goes on and life is good and I can find a way to do this. You know, I'm outdoors, I'm with my family, my friends, the birds are flying, the fish are jumping, the weather's beautiful. I mean, that's what it's all about. So yes, finding ways to do it, assistive technology. We have electric reels, we have holders, harness holders, arm supports. There's quite a few different devices that have been invented by people with disabilities to accommodate their uh, handicap, if you will. So uh, look for those products and I don't have a list of them, but we do list a lot of them in our uh, database, the iSERC, whatever we call it. Uh, database. So check it out for some, some products. But, you know, the old internet and the Google thing works. You just have to be diligent and keep chasing and finding and look for disability and adaptive sports, and you will find some of the products. Many of them you will be able to build on your own, just like someone did to start with. So finding the idea and then figuring out how to make it work for you is what it's all about. We know, David, we've been talking a lot about 
Florida specific things and, and, and sports ability in particular, what if I'm in Idaho or Nevada or some, somewhere else, how can people find local accessible recreation programs wherever they live? Again, going back to the searches and digging in is a good way, but we, the FDA or the Sports Ability Alliance was the first Florida chapter of what used to be Disabled Sports USA, which is now Move United. We are one of many chapters now. I think we have five here in the state of Florida, but I think uh, Move United has, if I'm not mistaken, 175 chapters around the country. Any of those that you could find through their organization could give you a lot of support for their particular sports. Most of those have an interest in a particular sport, and many of them are snow and mountain stuff and biking and different sports, but that network can help you find some of the resources. And again, go to your state wildlife conservation commission. Our Florida Wildlife Conservation Commission has done a great job of fishing. Uh, they actually did a whole boat ramp project years ago, went to every single boat ramp in the state of Florida that FWC has any uh, involvement with as far as property or management. And they made all of our boat ramps accessible with handicapped parking, barrier-free docks so that you can load and unload your dock. Courtesy docks is what I'm trying to say. Uh, they have provided now online a list of all those boat ramps around the state of Florida. So going to myfwc.com, My Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, you will find through their conglomerate of clicks and leads and rabbit holes, a listing of accessible fishing piers and boat ramps for freshwater. And very excitingly, they're in the middle of completing an online database of accessible saltwater fishing piers and shore-based fishing locations. I understand that one's not ready for the public yet, but the good news is they have listened and they are working very hard to provide information. And I'll regress a minute again. The number one barrier to participating is the lack of information, knowledge. Knowledge is so important for opportunities, for the details, to participate, we need to know about it. So look for it. That's great. Th thank you, David. Any other advice you might have for somebody looking to, um, uh, to, to be more involved in accessible recreation? Well, again, I'll go back to your local conservation commission, but there's many conservation organizations and groups out there who have programs. Um, hunting and fishing and boating are just three. Camping is big. Bird watching is tremendous. Biking is, is a tremendous outdoor recreation. So there's many, many things that we can do outdoors. And fortunately in Florida, and I would assume other states as well, they are embracing a more diverse, uh, I guess, population that they serve with diverse interests. So our management area system in the state of Florida, we have over 5 million acres of wildlife management areas that's open for hunting, fishing, hiking, birding, outdoor recreation, a vast resource scattered around the state. I think we're the like the third largest controller of public land for outdoor recreation in the country. I mean, very big and don't hold me to the numbers because that's why I don't use stats with numbers, but Florida's done a great job. 
and they're doing more and more to list some of the other activities and where you can do birding. We have a birding trail where you can find all these hot spot birding areas around the state of Florida. And that's another point. Usually people who hunt or fish or boat are also outdoor enthusiasts. They do other things too. So wildlife watching is big. And I mentioned earlier, hunting is not shooting. It's enjoying the wildlife and wildlife viewing is one of our biggest uh, attractive sports. So yes, there's a lot of things we can do and finding a friend and we're creating now these mentoring programs for hunting and fishing. So look for the opportunities. They're there and they're getting better and better all the time. That's great. That's great advice. Well, Dave, thank, thank you so much for being uh, our guest today. We're, we're grateful for you sharing your time and your insights and talking about the valuable work of sportsability. And I also want to thank you, ADA Live listeners, for joining us for this episode. To access ADA Live episodes, visit our website at adalive.org. All episodes are archived with streamed audio, accessible transcripts, and resource lists. You can listen to ADA Live on the SoundCloud channel. Search for us at soundcloud.com forward slash ADA Live. You can download ADA Live to your mobile device podcast app by searching for ADA Live. If you have questions about the ADA, you can submit them anytime online at adalive.org, or you can contact your regional ADA center at 1-800-949-4232. Those calls are always free and they're confidential. ADA Live is a program of the Southeast ADA Center. Our producer is Celestia Razda with Beth Miller-Harrison, Mary Mortar, Emily Ruber, Marsha Schwanke, and me, I'm Barry Whaley. Our music is from Four Wheel City, the movement for improvement. We'll see you next episode. Happy summer, everybody. Be safe.